Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Sean Kelly, I am so grateful that you made time to come back on Fraudology. This is now your third appearance, and I think we are so lucky for it. The second one recently, and just in the last episode, we talked about, or you talked about, how you implemented this idea of looking at throughput and really overall this holistic view and how looking at how everything works from the time of checkout all the way to the end, or if it's a bank or anything else, right? Looking at the whole customer journey and looking at those silos that sometimes occur in between teams or oversight, anything like that. There's another process that you implemented during your time at SeatGeek that I knew that people that listen to Fraudology would really be fascinated by. And I think it will spur some great ideas, whether it's specific to this or just listening and thinking, oh, I can apply this in a different way. And really what you called it was post-order review process. So I'm going to let you kind of take it away. Thanks again for joining me. And what what was the what was the impetus of coming up with this? What was the problem yeah. that you were trying to solve? Yeah. So I'm going to I'll rewind just a little bit. And we had had we had had a very, very, I guess you would say kind of typical approach where it's a mix of rules based and machine learning based and how we how we look at and try and detect and prevent fraud, basic payment fraud from happening. We had a manual order review process and agents that would in a timed fashion have to look at orders in a queue and decide, do we think this is good? Do we think this is bad? Are we going to accept it? Are we going to reject it? That kind of thing. And, and that had been, that had evolved over time. And then COVID happened and mm. staff it for fraud is at a very low level because there aren't very many orders because there isn't very much happening in live events for a couple of years. And the, the problem really became there when volume comes back, it likely is going to come back in a really big way because there's so much pent up demand. So mm. how are we going to deal with that? We don't know when that's going to happen. It could be with the announcement of a big tour. It could be some big sports event that finally the gates are unleashed and it's full capacity again. Not knowing how to how to plan and prep for that, wanting to and needing to be very responsible and like thinking through how you're spending on staffing and not not over hiring too quickly to make sure that especially coming out of COVID, there were so many false starts, not wanting to get caught up in that. So that was kind of the like problem space that trying to figure out a solution for. But then also during that kind of downtime, one of my favorite things about it, what is it really gave an opportunity to take a step back and and relook at everything and kind of break it down. And there's it's so easy to fall into the sunk cost fallacy and like, no, we have to do it this way because so much has been invested in this and it's been the best way for so long. And this is the way everybody knows to do it. And right. you know, there's way too much in it. Well, we had an opportunity to ignore that and really look at our, our processes and how everything worked. Hmm. And so this came about Again, being kind of a primarily machine learning based with a little bit of rules in there as well that we had kind of developed in-house. Stepped back and as I thought it through, kind of broke down 
for machine learning to work in the, the system we we're using was supervised machine learning, meaning you have to manually tell it good from bad or give it some sort of signal to identify what's good, what's bad, so that it can learn from that and apply that to future orders. Well, that has to have that full feedback loop. It has to have some signal to know what's good and bad. And in the vast majority of cases, the, the like best identifier of that is a fraud chargeback. Did this order that got through turn into a fraud chargeback? It did, so that equals bad. So the model learns from that to try and detect future orders that look similar to that. Or, hey, we thought this was fraud, or this looked likely to be fraud. It was scored high or on the higher range. It didn't turn into a fraud chargeback, so that's good. And then there's all sorts of layers to that, and you can manually say good and bad, and there's different weights to different signals. But by and large, you have to have this full circle feedback loop to tell and train the model good from bad. So when you apply that to something that changes every day, like live events, live entertainment, demographic of your purchasers, your behavior of your purchasers looks different day to day, depending on what on sale there is. Is, is it, are there on sales or schedule release for a whole bunch of events that are happening way months out? Or is it all of this last minute purchasing for one event? Or all of a sudden the World Series is decided and all of a sudden you have this rush of people buying tickets and patterns that haven't been there since a year ago. The machine learning models don't know to look from years right. ago or yes, in your, yes, to your point, yes, multiple years ago. So you don't have really well-trained models to now wait for three, six, nine months for fraud chargebacks to come in to be able to know good from bad. Well, and, and just to kind of like stop there a little bit, you know, if anyone didn't listen to the very first episode I had with you back in May, you know, where you talked about the ticketing and event tickets and the difference between primary and secondary ticketing. And the thing that is so unique about SeatGeek is that you do both. And there are other companies that do both, but they do them, they do both as almost like separate business entities. So they'll have like the primary where they own the inventory and everything, and then they'll have a resale market, but they're, they're run differently. They're run separately. Something that you talked about in the first episode that we talked about is you were doing both, right? So not only did you have this complex thing where you have a Taylor Swift concert and then you have a Jay-Z concert and then you have a, you know, World Series or LA Final or whatever it is, where different types of people, different demographics, different behaviors, sometimes they're using their parents' cards, sometimes they're using their own or their spouses or whoever. And only do you have all of those varied labels or levels that your supervisor in learning that needs the feedback loop that hopefully, sure, you're giving it to them when you're doing manual review, but I'm sure you're going to talk about this in a second. Like you're kind of still, it's still a guess, right? Unless you've talked yeah. to a cardholder, you've had some kind of a confirmed fraud event. Yep, yep. And so really that that final feedback loop is, oh, we got a fraud charge back. Well, that's 30, 60, 90 days later. And right. I think the other thing I name is you also had two different business models in there too. And you yep. mentioned the term on sale and this is a term I know well because I am friends with so many people in the ticketing industry, as people probably can tell from some of my guests, StubHub and Ticketmaster have been on here too. But on sale is really that what you guys call the date that tickets are released or that you're available to purchase tickets and yeah. that they're depending on the event, they can sell out on the day of on sale. Other times they can stay, they can kind of have like dips and curves and things like that. And there can yep. still be inventory all the way until the event date. But sometimes yep. people are buying tickets here in advance. My yep. husband somehow scored, well, I know, but scored tickets to see you two in Vegas when they're going to be there for a week in October. I think he bought those tickets months ago. That's got yep. a different risk behavior and different customer behavior than someone who's trying to buy resale tickets that someone else bought during the on sale for 
three or four times the face value three hours before the show. So you're there's so many different levels of and layers yeah. of varied customer behavior. Yeah. So it's already difficult when you are are trying to keep up with that even in real time. But for yeah. you, given the nature of the system and everything else, and a lot of people still are work with systems that have that delayed feedback loop or how you know, aren't able to do uh, real-time adaptation with AI or unsupervised ML. And yep. so because of that, you're kind of shooting in the dark. And then by the time you get to the 30, 60, 90 days, is that data even still relevant? Right, right. In most cases, the fraudsters have changed tactic 25 times by the time you find out about it. And that, that ends up not really being that valuable, you know? Right. There's some marginal value to it because, you know, it's right. building We're up trying. the knowledge of the machine and your models. But really to detect the fraud that's happening right now, it's not that helpful. And um, the other big problem with that, obviously, is false positives, right? Like can sometimes be a very high volume of false positives because, again, you don't have that confirmation. So, yeah. you know, when you're a hammer, everything's going to look like a nail, more or less. Yeah, so we, we had the kind of the problem of how do we address big volume coming back with a small team and kind of an inability to effectively manually review orders the way that we used to, combined with kind of this opportunity to take a step back and can we do things differently? Can we do them better? Can we kind of modernize and take a, a little bit different or new approach? Or is there a better way to do things? And so yeah. through that, looked for, is there a way that we can shorten this feedback loop, right? So rather than waiting that 30, 60, 90 days for fraud chargebacks to come in and a win-loss to be decided and, and letting that be your kind of primary training, training a blanket on the word, rather than waiting for that to be your primary training signal, is there a way, is there something else that we can really look at? And so kind of tested out this idea of doing away with manual order review, with ticketing anyway, and I know a number of other e-commerce and in, in other industries, sometimes you can do your manual review after the order has been placed. With ticketing, though, you it has to be before the order is placed because it's right. more or less instant delivery. Or you right, you're reserving that inventory, right? So... Yep. And so you have to decide before it's con confirmed, yeah. before it's delivered. And so can we shift those resources to an after the order has happened place? And knowing that that's going to mean that fraud is going to get through. But then when you step back and think about it, fraud is necessary to happen, to identify it, to know what's going to happen mm -hmm. to actually be able to stop it. Because it's going to happen regardless to some degree, hopefully small enough that big picture is hmm. under control. But you have to have that in order to have models learn what is happening, what's bad, what and so on. And, and you need to have newer fraud too, right? Like, yeah. I mean, you had a three-year break. Is it Well, two-year break. Right. Right. Enough two-year break. Fraud had yeah. changed dramatically yes. from pre-COVID to post-COVID. Yeah. The tools so that fraudsters had yeah. before that, you know. The information they had, the, the the training they had. And the money that was available in a lot of the bigger fraud rings to actually resource and, and carry out fraud was capital. very different, right? Yeah. Um, so, oh, yeah. Fraud is so we took those, we took yeah. our agent resources that we had and mm -hmm. put them into this, what well, at that time we called post-order review. And can we look at orders after they've happened and identify better the instances of fraud and be confident in that assessment in a way that you can't, when you're in the moment, you've got a five, 10, 15 minute time limit to decide on this one order, is this good or bad? Hmm. And that's the way most manual review cues work as many listening to this are aware, where 
you're you're looking at this order, trying to decide is it good, bad. You're running it through your various tools. You're researching, trying to figure figure out to make the best decision. But at the end of the day, you're really rolling the dice. You people that have been reviewing orders for a long time are going to have a little bit better accuracy, a little bit better met- metrics. But nobody's a hundred percent. And also, as fraud changes, actually, I've been seeing the opposite be true a lot, where. You know, people who are very much like, no, this is 100% broad. And it was five years ago. Well, you know, we talked about it before. Like, there's a lot of good customers that do things that was considered fraudulent five years ago. No, that's that's a really good point. Obfuscation of identity used to be a good indicator. And now Apple offers that right out of the box to to anybody with an Apple ID. So, yeah, no, that's a really good point. Usage of VPN used to be a really strong indicator. Tons of people use VPNs. Mm-hmm. Try and hide who they are. The yeah, fake and I'm seeing right. Yeah, well, and I'm just seeing that mostly with like the less sophisticated fraud tools, right? Like yeah. whether it's just with exception reporting or velocity rules or yeah. linear rules, where it's just if this and this and that. Well, frauds love those things because yeah. they're finding the boundary, and then they just step right outside of it or step yeah. right underneath, right, right below that boundary. There's a few people recently who have said, I don't know how they're doing it, but it seems like they know our scoring threshold. They know that we are going to auto cancel or we're going to manual review it. Like, you know, if the score is, so they're yep. scoring it. And then when we look at it at once we get the charge back, we're like, whoa, if we would have seen that, we would have known it was fraud. Right. But they're knowing right. how, because they are studying our systems and tools as much yep. as possible. And especially if we haven't changed them in several years. Yep. Or the solution provider that we're using hasn't tried to change them, then they're going to get past them. So yeah, that's a really point too, is like, it doesn't really, it's changing so much that what ends up happening is so many more false positives, right? With like the less sophisticated tools, they're canceling a lot of good users because, oh, it used to be that VPN was always bad. So we're going to cancel it. Well, that's not the case anymore. And that's how you get the report, right? Like one in five merchants has less than 86% approval rate. Yeah. That's bananas. Yeah. To have it consistently, right? Like you might have one random spike here or there, but not consistent. But yeah, and I yeah. I think the other thing I'd say too is like for people who haven't used like supervised machine learning and they use a system that has like linear rules or like rule system, really it's very similar in the fact that, you know, machine learning is is a little, is adapting a little bit more, but it needs that feedback loop. It needs that yeah. after six. 30, 60, 90 days, or after 120 days, has anything changed? Has frog come back that we missed? And usually for most companies, a lot of their customers are the same. A lot of the product is the same, or it's not getting shipped from the warehouse for another day. And then it's going to be on the UPS truck or the FedEx truck for another two, three days. So like you have a little bit of time. And when you see them start to like push in 50 more orders, it's like, oh, okay, that was fraud. We're going to do a return to sender. But one of the reasons I really enjoy working and talking with people in ticketing and travel is like, you don't have that luxury and these are expensive products. It's not like $5 gaming tokens or things like that. So the same process that you use for your supervised machine learning models could really, in theory, be used for rule systems or legacy systems or anything else. And I think it's really fascinating. It's an interesting way of of solving a problem. And I think I like it too, because it's not the way it's always been done. And not to say that the way it's always been done is, but fraudsters aren't doing it the way it's always been done. That's why they're getting better. That's true. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. And it's it's part of the reason that it works so well. And we'll I'll get a little bit more into kind of the dynamics of, of how it worked. But part of the reason it works so well is not only 
is it better identifying fraud, but it's allowing more good orders that truly are good through, right? Because mm. you're more or less taking that gate out of the, out of the order process mm. and to the point, and this ties into with our previous conversation around throughput, because it's letting more orders through. Mm-hmm. Fraud is getting through. So that's where the next part of this has to play out. Otherwise, you're going to have problems because not enough orders are going to get caught. But all right. of my agents now, instead of looking at this point, instead of the agents looking order by order, trying to decide against the clock, is this good? Is this bad? Again, more or less rolling the dice. Instead, it's looking at, let's say, 100 orders at a time. Let me look at the last six hours worth of orders and see what patterns I can discern out of that. There are always, as anybody in the industry knows, there are always patterns. Sometimes the pattern is the anti-pattern and it's like clearly not following the patterns that are have tried to be adapted to and it's too far the other way. Um, but even that is a pattern, right? And so you're looking through and honing in on, okay, in the last six hours or 12 hours, whatever your parameters that you would set would be, we were aiming for every six hours, be reviewing the previous six hours of orders and looking at, okay, as I go through those, I'm going to make a list of all the last minute orders. So all the orders for an event coming up in the next 24 hours, I'm going to look through those. And you're, we kind of, the term that we use for this was surfing. And so you're surfing through these orders, just kind of like trying to identify any good ones that were scored high and shouldn't have been or any bad ones that were scored low. And as you go through them, all of a sudden, and I think I maybe used this this saying our last conversation about throughput, but it's being able to see the forest for the trees, right? And you you have a little bit more zoomed out view. And rather than just looking at that singular one order, trying to decide if it's good or bad, all of a sudden you notice, wait a minute, I saw another order for this game in Seattle tonight that also was placed from Moscow, Idaho, and something like you just feel like something similar. So I'm going right. to I'm going to pull all my orders in the last six hours for this game in Seattle that's coming up in the next 24 hours and look through there. And, oh, wait a minute. Look at that. There's 10 different orders that have all been placed from the same area or maybe it's all in the same dollar value or whatever the whatever the pattern is. You more or less build a list based on that. And hmm. all of a sudden it's like, oh, yep. This is not at all normal. There isn't a good story to support this. Like whatever right. your whatever your way of approaching fraud is, you it's very clear that you've just uncovered 10, 20, 40, 70 orders that all had the same pattern that are not good. You can label those and right away the system knows and has a super solid set to know what's bad and no more of that's getting through. And so that shift allowed far more good orders to get through that would have been blocked in a manual review process, would have been blocked by the system thinking that they were likely fraud. At the same time, ultimately dropping that successful fraud rate significantly, even though there's like on that outside a little bit more, that's kind of where that gamble and a lot of testing had to happen to make sure that our hypothesis here played out. And then really as kind of the leadership of the team, we knew for the first time really ever exactly what was happening. We had our finger on Mm -hmm. the pulse of when there was fraud and when Mm -hmm. we were in a good spot. In the past, there's something like the World Series or U.S. Open or some set of events like that. But again, you haven't had data for it the past year or post-COVID past few years for the model to know what this type of fraud looks like. All of a sudden, we know as it's happening because we're looking at the last 6, 12, 24 hours of orders, exactly what is happening. And we can very quickly course correct. And so with something like the U.S. Open, it's identified at the very beginning of kind of the that 
intense sales period that happens right. and you are corrected and you know exactly what the outcome is rather than two months later being like, oh, we had a problem. Yeah. And at that point, there's nothing that you can do about it. What do we do for next year? Well, we don't even have time to worry about that because right. now we're getting into the Super Bowl or whatever. The We don't even. Yeah. There's but like always at the same time, something like, big coming up next year. It could be something different, right? Because it could be in a different totally. city. I mean, the U.S. Open wouldn't be, but like other things could be in a different city or different teams. And so they're going to be less popular or this may be the first yeah. time they're there. Or, you know, there's so many different. Yeah, yeah. The thing about events is that they're. I mean, I'm converted here, but we're talking just in general for other people. Like there's so many different factors that make one event more popular than the other event. And the more popular they are, the more popular they're going to be with fraudsters because it's always a supply and demand thing. And so they're going to adapt and change. And that's the whole whole point. So, you know, even though you were releasing tickets instantly now, so instead of having that 10, 15 minute gap to be able to review something quickly and say, yeah, I mean, I don't think this looks like anything we've lost before. But that's the other thing too, right? Is that the idea of letting fraud through is a good one because as fraud adapts and changes, like you may not know that helps you learn, right? Like you may not realize that that's fraud. So that's why I preach and I know you do too, looking at your fraud chargebacks and looking at what you missed. It boggles my mind sometimes. And I understand that like we're all understaffed and we're in all those things, but there are There are ways to do things when you bring yourself out of the weeds and you bring yourself out of triage, which we kind of talked about last week or on the last episode where it was like, yeah, it might seem like you're constant. You have no time to do anything because you're constantly putting out fires. But if you just, you know, raise your viewpoint a little bit higher and you, you know, look at it, you look at the forest instead of just the trees right in front of you, then you'll be able to, oh, it's something that like those of us have done it understand more than other people like easy for you to say. It's like, oh no, no, no. Like it's for a while there, you're doing both. Like it's a lot, but it gets better. For sure. I think one of the cool things that lets you kind of, even with reviewing chargebacks later or when a customer calls in and reports fraud, it lets you shift your focus, right? And ideally, if the, if taking this approach is working, 95% of the time when you get that fraud chargeback or somebody calls in, yep, we already knew that. Yep, you're right. Yeah. It's fraud. We know. Because you were already and looking at it ahead of time. Because we've already looked at it. Right? We've already tried to identify all the bad orders from the last 6, 12, 24 hours. Uh, and so then when we get that report or we get that fraud chargeback, yep, we know about it. And so your focus then becomes the ones that you didn't find already. And like, mm-hmm. oh, this is in that 5% that we didn't know about. Right. Maybe it. Maybe it's not really fraud. We all know mm-hmm. about fraud getting used that way. There's party, um, yeah. But maybe it's one that we hadn't detected yet. Fraudology is now brought to you by Sardine. So what is Sardine? I mean, other than a small oily fish in the herring family, Sardine is a fraud tech platform that was ultimately built by fraud fighters for fellow fraud fighters with the features that they wanted in a fraud provider when they worked for companies within financial services, e-commerce, digital banking, and consumer lending. They're a team who geeks out on the same minute data that indicate a fraud pattern or anomaly as we do, and they run investigations every day. Sardine's product is even measured with the same KPIs as you probably are. More specifically, Sardine has combined more than 30 data providers into one tool for you. Benchmarked for performance into a single dashboard and API that can be used for KYC, AML, and payment fraud detection. 
But crucially, they also allow Sardine customers to use their own data, to access their own data, as well as the results from all data providers they work with and the features Sardine has created as they, their customers, need to use them. There's no more mysterious black box that calculates the risk of new accounts, logins, or transactions and magically turns them into a score that was most likely based on attributes that look risky to other business models. For some clients, they use Sardines as their full stack for all account onboarding, transaction monitoring, case management, etc. Others use them as a sophisticated data provider. Basically, Sardine fits to you rather than vice versa. So if you want to see for yourself that the product you've always wanted finally exists, you can book a demo at www.sardine.ai or by clicking the link in the show notes for today's episode. And so again, one of the agents will take that report or take that chargeback or whatever and look at it, pull up others that maybe have a similar, maybe the same event, maybe the same area that it was played, whatever the criteria would be, and will help them uncover, oh, hey, here's a new bat. You know what I mean? Like it, it shifts your focus rather than you have no idea what it's connected to. You have no idea um, what to do with it. Well, yeah, and you and can then, only do such link analysis, right? Like when you're doing yes. a manual review, because yep. you can only do so much link analysis, but you don't know what's going to come next. So mm-hmm. you can look behind the scenes, but you can't see forward. Yep. Right. And so just like kind right. of going back a little bit as far as before and after, when you had that like 10, 15 minute gap between releasing the event, yes, you had people looking at it, but it was kind of one by one by one. And it was whatever the yep. system thought might be good. Well, that system is is choosing or not be good, but might be bad. It was those gray area. Well, the system is selecting those gray area orders based on old data. Yep. So then, yes, you could prevent the sale, but a lot of times you were preventing good sales, right? So yep. then fast forward to when you were letting those sales go through, not having a 10 to 15 minute manual review process, but instead looking at things 6, 12, 24 hours afterwards, as long as the event hadn't happened yet, I would assume that it wasn't like, oh, it's lost all the time, right? There were, right. I mean, maybe it's been resold twice and you have to go back and go, yeah. I know you well, had nothing to yeah, do with it, it or whatever, it right? You, could, I'm sure you recovered It a lot. gives you a whole new kind of category of options, right? So depending yes. again on mm. your industry and exactly how things work in your exact role and in type of type of good or service maybe you can in this case maybe you can reissue those cancel that sale reissue those barcodes relist them there's some logistics there but that is totally possible in some cases maybe you can reverse the charge rather than having it go through a refund process or yeah charge there's a number of different like you can save pretty big on interchange in those cases where you can roll it back rather than process a refund. So there's there's all kinds of different avenues that are opened up to be able to deal with it. For us, one of the one of the big wins that I would say was unexpected and is especially especially helpful now in the in the kind of era we're in of trying to retain employees and get good employees and mm. staff is that for the agent role, it made that role so much better than it had been when mm-hmm. your job is looking at one order at a time, you're in there for two hours at a time, and who knows what your accuracy is until later on you get your metrics and, oh, I was I was rejecting too many good orders. I was getting too many chargebacks, you know, oh, yeah. finding that out. And like, that's a not an awesome space to live in, right? And it's yeah. everybody wants to get out of that agent position over time just because we call it like they're one of our nicknames for being in that role was you're in prison for that time, right? Like all you're doing, you're 
you have to focus on one order at a time it's and like the same thing you know, every right. I mean, and so in this have, case though all of a sudden makes right. makes that really exciting because you're looking mm -hmm. for these patterns you're trying to uncover this it's super rewarding when you get to tell the team about this about what you uncovered to let them know so that they're also looking for similar new and, fraud ring you know, fraudsters evolve and so yeah, maybe this fraud ring, maybe we got most of this and we've trained the model now. This isn't going to happen, but keep your eye out because this is their new image. Right. Taking those signals then to uncover that fraudster has evolved to what this pattern is moving to, to really be more effective. And so employee satisfaction and excitement about job and engagement, like all of those are up. We're up for us. Obviously, I can't speak to it at this exact moment, but I'm confident in kind of what we built. <laughs> right. Because just, just in general, like... It's one of those concepts that, again, seeing it now, it's like, oh, my gosh. And there was a period of time for a particular event. I won't go into any any details, but we had to go back to our old way of doing things. Mm. And it felt like we were stepping back into the 19th century, doing things this like old, outdated. We didn't have a handle on it mm. to the same extent. We didn't know exactly what the state of things were. You knew that you're insulting good customers by rejecting their orders or rolling mm -hmm. the dice and you just mm -hmm. don't know the same way that you do. And again, you have to have that fraud to know what it is to identify it to stop it from happening. And when you don't have that ability, you feel like you're running in the dark again. And so, yeah. And the other obviously rewarding thing, obviously everything comes down to dollars. There were tens of millions of dollars of additional revenue as a result of this process. And so it played out well, not just revenue. I'm correcting you because you blew me away when you said this. It wasn't tens of millions of dollars of revenue. It was tens of millions of dollars of profit, which I mean, it was tens of millions of dollars of revenue a year is great. Tens yeah. of millions of dollars of profit. Like that's a whole yeah. other thing. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't just a world when your profit isn't like you don't have an 80 percent profit margin. Let's be right. clear. Right. Like they're pretty small right. margins right. and ticketing in that entertainment. So when you have tens yeah. of millions of dollars of profit being added yeah. just by changing this process, because yeah. you're no longer relying on a system that is getting unfortunately like outdated or old or just not accurate anymore information yeah. Yeah. to tell you what's gray area, what's bad, what's good. And instead, yeah. and then you only look at the things that are gray area. And then you're just looking at that one thing and trying to decide in isolation, is this good? Is this bad with what you have? Yeah. And you change it to look yeah. at I like the fact that at least in your your system and in your tool, you were able to set these parameters, right? So yeah. whether it was through a pivot table or through the solution you used or internal resources, whatever, you yeah. had a system that you were able to say, okay, I want to see all orders over $600 made from this time to this time or for this city to that city or whatever. So you could set these search parameters to narrow it down. But then you're looking at all of them, they're the same and they should all be the same. But you're looking for outliers. And we know right. those of us who have been fraud analysts or had to do it the old school way with SQL queries and kind of chase the fraud after it was happening. Because yeah. I mean, we did have to do that old school, but we didn't have enough good tools to make it as good as this. You train your eyes really well. Yeah. So it's like, okay, yeah, all these things look the same, right? They're all on an IP that's close to where they are. And they're this and they're that. And the phone number matches and the this and the that. We've got all these things memorized. Our brains and our eyes can just train to look for the out. That's what yep. we're the best at. And it's yep. almost like looking for red dots in a sea of blue dots. We can find those as yep. long as you have a big enough sea of, of the dots, right? When you're just looking at one dot at a time and you need to guess, yep. 
is it a red dot yeah. is it a blue dot that makes it harder yeah. yeah and you're over time you're like maybe it's more purple it's, right? it's in that area of, of or it was you know, a blue dot but really now it's tell. a red dot no, it's but a then red dot. if yeah. i can look at a hundred orders all of a sudden oh even the purples i can start to see of those what's what and you know focus on the ones that you're not seeing anything in identify the ones that you'll you'll surf you'll be curious you'll you can put together a list of things that are in common and nope, that's not anything. Right. Then you get a call about a charge. Hey, this isn't one that we had. Dig into it. Oh, here's 10 more. Oh, here, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah. Oh, right. Very quickly uncover. And so I would say, obviously, a lot of this is specific to the tools that we were using, the things that we had built, the industry that we were in. Right. But really more than anything, for me, it was is the idea of take a step back, mm -hmm. look at like what's kind of the core and I mean, these are all tools that I had been part of building the first time and they were the best given the tools and knowledge and resources and what we knew then. This this wasn't possible five years ago. Right. It is now. Right. And with advancements of everything and the way that our systems and tools had evolved, it was this opportunity to really step back and be like, OK, how can we shorten that feedback loop? Mm. That's what is really driving the system. That is more important than anything else. Yeah. How do I tell it good from bad? How do I identify good from bad before I've gotten the fraud charge back? Right. There's QA. Any, anybody that does extensive manual review, any companies, there's usually QA that's happening. But even that QA isn't, and I know from it, having done yeah, that, do. you still don't know, right? And there's still humans trying to decide with a little more experience and a little bit more time yeah. to probably more accuracy than the agent that had to make the call in the minute against the clock. But you still don't have that definitive. I don't want to train my machine learning models even based off of QA review of manual review right after it happened. And so how can I rethink that? What, what are those signals that I can look at? How can I be confident in it? And that's that's really where that came from. And I think is something that can be applied elsewhere. And to your point of whether you're rules based, whether you're supervised or unsupervised, like what are those signals? What are the things that you have to really focus on? What's kind of that first principle you have to step back to and look at? And I feel like both with the throughput project that you talked about last time, as well as this, that's really the theme, right? Is too often we're way too close to it. And just getting to see this, different view. I know for me, when I went from my own experience, right, from being an analyst to then a manager, like you have to think about things differently. You have to look at them differently. And then when I went from being a practitioner and, you know, a merchant to supporting them, now like my trend analysis is more on like, I've now had four retailers ask me this question. There's something there, right? Or the fact yeah. that they're not asking a question or they're not saying something volume that they should, or like, those are the types of things like, Huh, okay, I'm going to go look in that more. And it's similar. And I can totally see Very how it was fulfilling yeah. to your analysts because they're now finding entire trends. They're now finding these patterns that they can swat that fly and make it a lot easy for fraudsters yep. to do that within yep. hours or days, not yep. in months, weeks or months. Yep. And yep. I think that it's, I'm just, I'm a really big fan of this and I'm kind of surprised I didn't think of it. However, no, not necessarily. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, you and I think so similarly in what's the effect. Okay. Now we need to look at the cause, right? What's the problem? Yeah. Okay. How can we get to that root? And not just like one layer, like talking a lot about trees here, but going to like the root cause. And, but I think too, as I thought about it, there is at least one provider I know that is kind of doing this already where they have kind of made it so that it doesn't make a lot of sense or, or at least their solution or their 
partners, their merchants don't have to have in-house manual review. And there are some people that get really like, but we have, but we have more control when we have manual review. And that's, I would actually argue that it's perceived control. I, I'd be curious you know, because I guess what I would finish up with that, but I'd love to hear your answer on that is I think that what I've noticed and thinking about how that, that solution provider is able to do that is that they have analysts that are basically surfing like yours were, right? So they're looking at the high level. They're looking at the data. They're not necessarily looking at individual transactions because they work with dozens and dozens of like the biggest companies in the world, this particular one I'm thinking of, but they're doing it in almost real time, right? Where their systems are adapting and they already have unsupervised ML that's already adapting to patterns like, oh, wow, we're starting to see this shift. We're going to look at this more closely because all of a sudden this one thing never was a thing and all of a sudden it is, okay, this could be risky. But then they also have analysts who are like tens of years trained in data analysis and looking at these going, oh, there's a spike here and there's a spike there. And they have like almost, I envision them as alarm bells where, you know, when one thing spikes, they're like, okay, we need to go look for it. But I'd be curious to get your perspective. There is this thought of like, we cannot give up manual review because we will give up control. What was your experience with that? Did you feel like you had less control when you went to this model of post-order? So, or- so I, the way that I kind of think about that, and I know we mentioned a little bit in our last episode when we were talking about throughput, mentioned a little bit about firefighting mm-hmm. and wildfires are very relevant right now. And so I think about it a little bit that way, where you can focus on putting out this one little hot spot, mm. but the whole forest is burning around you. How are you going to just keep putting out these individual fires? And I think about it that way, where when you're doing manual review so many times, you're you're trying to to find and identify the one hot spot. We're not even talking about the the times that you're wrong about it, just the times when you're talking about you feel like you're in control. Yeah, you can find this one spot and then you turn around and everything's on fire behind you, right? And that this idea of taking this step back and letting go of manual review is this idea of creating those fire lines, of getting the bigger scale support, of really like having a strategy for how you approach it all so that you're not having to deal with every single one of these little fires because eventually your firefighters get tired, your firefighters get hurt. You have too many of these spots to where they can't handle all of them or you just have to keep hiring more firefighters to deal with it. And, and there's a too. finite supply of that, right? And then you've got to have more managers to deal with those. So it really isn't a great way to scale. And fraud's going to keep scaling as long or as fast as your business is going to scale, sometimes faster, hopefully not. Yeah. And so how do you really get ahead of that? And that's where, yeah, how do you how do you step back and think through a strategy that shifts that control to a bigger picture rather than that individual one at a time thing? If you have too many meetings on your schedule, dealing with them one at a time is very different than how do I approach this and think about this differently and do like Shopify did and let's get rid of all of our meetings and the ones that we have to have, let's put a cost on those. That was in mm. big in tech news last week. But that shift from Shopify is great. And it's the company saying we are putting way too much time and energy and have way too much just like lost effort in this. So let's shift this and look at this differently. There's some that's necessary. That's fine. But how do you how do you think about it a little bit differently and take a little bit different approach? Sometimes taking drastic widespread measures. So yeah, that's that's my thought. 
Well, and I mean, it's ironic because we're in risk prevention, right? But the bigger the risk, the bigger the reward. And when you're taking those big steps and those big changes from one to many to many to one, you know, just all that, right? And you painted such a good, vivid picture of firefighting. And I thought about you and I both live in the Pacific Northwest, where on the West Coast, where unfortunately we know wildfires very well. And we know that while it's important to have a ground game, if you only have a ground game, if you only have firefighters on the ground fighting fire and you don't have the helicopters and you don't have the other retardant and the water buckets and all the other things happening, like yeah. it is just going to be one off at a time. And like you yeah. said, not only do your firefighters get tired, they get discouraged because they feel like they're yeah. not making yeah. it. And I could see instead them being able to go look at a map of topography and say, this is going to be a spot. If a fire gets started within a five mile range, man, that's just going to rip up, you know, and like being able to help yeah. with the strategy and report it. So I think that is, I really put you on the spot with that question. Like, I just want to make sure everyone knows, like I completely threw that on you and I am very impressed with your analogy. Yeah, no, I'm like, Gosh, not only is Sean coming on the consultant scene, but now he's going to, what, take over the podcast too? Like, of course. <laughs> but no, I think that like that is a good place to get. And I think it, it is a good, though, forlay into what you're, what you're working on now and what you're building and working with companies on strategy. Because sometimes it's really helpful to bring in an extra set of eyes and a set of eyes that thinks about things differently and that is seeing the big picture. And yeah. for the longest time, I've been one of the only, if not the only, like independent consultant that comes in and has so much experience of doing this on the ground that is able to provide that extra perspective. But I welcome yours as well, because I think that as you shared in the last now three episodes, but especially the last two, having a brain that's looking for not just like, well, how did you do it? And then let's, you know, refine how you're doing it. But what is the end? Tell yeah. me what the goal is and tell me what the problem is. And I will, I will come up with a solution. And yeah. that's how, I mean, just using Shopify as a good example, like with them making those changes, sometimes, yeah, sometimes new strategies and whatever, they crash and burn. But usually that's because they aren't anchored in what is the problem and then what is your goal for the solution? Usually they're like yeah. trying to figure out the solution first or they're, or they're not really finding the root cause of the problem. It's somewhere in the middle somewhere and they're stopping yeah. it. It's like, wait, that's yeah. not going to work. But when you really yeah. look at it, gets the root, let's figure that out. Now it's reach that goal. Yeah. That's how progress is made. That's how yeah. tens of millions of dollars of profit is added to a business right yeah. after a global pandemic uh, that wiped yeah, it for, sure. and for I, a long time. I, I, think, I think that's a really good point of the root is so important to figure out when you go that deep and figure out the root cause of what what could be underlying something? What are the key drivers? You have so much more confidence in the hypothesis. Yes. You still oh, need gosh. to test and still have your backup planes and still Absolutely. be ready for that. You're not gonna you're not gonna hit 100 percent by any means. But you have so much. You can have so much more confidence in your solution when you've done that and when you understand what's underlying things to be able yeah. to put out a hypothesis. And I think that this is a way that we can think about this and approach this and then you try it and test it, measure it and kind of go from there. So yes, absolutely agree there. Well, my goodness. I mean, never ceases to amaze me how fun our conversations are. I mean, even though we kind of outlined this one kind of briefly or whatever, it's always fun to deep dive and I'm kind of excited and interested to hear. Yeah. I'd love to see like where our conversations go and stuff. And I also get really excited about speaking of feedback 
And I always enjoy hearing from listeners of like, wow, that made me think of something totally different, but it helped me think about this or that. And I would encourage anyone who had an aha moment listening to this episode or the other one to reach out to Sean and tell him what your feedback loop is. He'll share it with you. But I think, you know, that's something that as he's embarking in the consulting space and building a new project and working on something new, it's helpful to know, oh, wow, I was able to, because it's, it's just a different, it's a different type of job. And I know for the longest time, I yeah. didn't have a feedback loop when I started consulting. And it was really, paid. I mean, I did with my one-on-one -on -one clients, but not like, oh, I spoke at a conference and someone thought, oh, I'm going to go see if this could work, even if it had nothing wasn't exact. But also it can spur some really fun conversations and you never know yeah. where those can go too. So, so we'll put your, a link to your LinkedIn in the show notes. But any final thoughts on if anyone's thinking about embarking this exact goal or just zooming out and zooming in and zooming out again is such a good practice because we do get yeah. so used to zooming in and then staying there. But yeah. any other like tips to the wise or any like words of wisdom to close out today's episode? No pressure. I think... I think one of the the cool things about this, again, going back to what we we're just talking about, about being in control, ties in a little bit with our, our last conversation around throughput and the communication tool that that can serve as. And in a similar way, because what's happening when it's happening, you don't want to be the one to deliver that bad news. But when, when there's been successful fraud, you have an idea and a handle on it in a way that you didn't before. And it's not your finance team delivering that news to your business team mm -hmm. of, hey, we just got a huge amount of charge from last month or the World Series or whatever that big event was. And you have an idea of that. And I think the the ability that that shows, especially as a leader of a team or leaders of a team, is, is that you're responsible for that team and you know what's happening and you're prepared mm -hmm. for it. And you can be prepared with your answer of how it was addressed or how it's being addressed. Because right. when you're the one delivering that, because you know that it's happened, you've dug in and you understand quickly from the last 24 hours what happened, why it happened, and how you've stopped it. And so those pieces, again, tying back into that conversation of how you can communicate effectively with leadership, how you can communicate effectively with your team, how you can empower and make your team feel like they're really contributing to the bigger picture. The communication piece that comes along here is, is pretty powerful. So. Well, as we learned in the phrenology survey, and we talked about this in the last episode too, like when you're communicating with your team and your leadership and cross-functional departments, that increases their confidence in you as well as provides more autonomy for you to, oh, the last time they had a hypothesis, they knocked it out of the park and got us even better success than they ever could have imagined. Let's keep giving them that confidence, but also it helps them appreciate the impact, right? It's not just yeah. about your your analysts feeling like they're fulfilled, they're more fulfilled and they have a purpose and they're learning more and they're being able to look at something from a higher level and, and build yeah. different skills and have a different day every day. It's also that your leadership is saying, Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Your team definitely has a purpose. And the next time you need yep. a headcount or resources or, you know, hey, look at what we can do with the technology that we were using that, that we added five, six years ago, which in fraud technology can be, can seem obsolete and we can start calling totally. it. Look yep. at what we can do with that. What could we do if we added something? So yeah. I think there's a lot to say about including that last part in it, that 64% of the merchants who actually you know, share and educate and provide updates to leadership and, and their businesses, yeah. especially real-time updates, rather than like, oh, we're used to getting like loss reports from finance that sound like, wah, 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 wah. 
What's more cool is hearing it from the fraud manager with a cool story about, oh, we found these guys that, you know, were out of this country and they were doing this and they were doing that. We stopped them. And yeah, we lost this much, but we were able to recover that much. And not going to happen again because we did this, this and this. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I can see that. Yeah, there's it's a really good feeling when finance is looking at their PL and says, Hey, chargebacks were up. What was this about? Oh, yeah, we know that was from two months ago. This happened, this happened. This is right. pretty much the tail end of that. And everybody already knows about it. Next week you you know exactly what is gonna happen in a forward looking way because chargebacks are yet to come for what you're seeing now. You know what's happening rather than that backward looking right. like what's going on? Why did why did this happen? Such good points. So I think you've given us all a lot of food for thought. And I just can't thank you enough for all the fun conversations you and I have had both online and obviously on the podcast the last week. And I really appreciate it. And I am just really excited to see where some of the ideas or seeds of ideas that have been sprouted this week in talking with you, where they go and what they bloom and do for our audience members, as well as where your next chapter goes too. So I will be anxiously waiting to hear all of it. Yes. Thanks, Chris. Thanks again, Sean. I uh, thank you again, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.